It was 1926. I had just joined the Latico Air Company, previously known as Aeropostal and subsequently Air France, to fly the Toulouse-Dakar route. There I learned my trade. In my turn, like my comrades and other youngsters, I undertook the apprenticeship necessary to gain the honour of pilot status. Test flights, journeys between Toulouse and Perpignan, wearisome weather classes in a glacial hangar. We lived in fear of the mountains of Spain, as yet unfamiliar to us, and lived in respect for our elders. We found these elders in the restaurant, gruff, somewhat remote, granting us their opinions from on high, and when one of them, returning from Alicante or Casablanca, arrived late, leathers soaked from the rain, and one of us timidly asked how his trip had gone, his brief descriptions of stormy days built for us a fabulous world, full of traps and pitfalls, the unexpected sudden appearance of cliffs and tornadoes which had uprooted cedars. Black dragons defended the entrance of valleys, and sheaves of lightning crowned the ridges. Our elders certainly earned our respect, but from time to time one would earn our respect for eternity, by not returning. I remember thus a returnee named Berry, who was later killed in the Corbiere Mountains. This old pilot had just sat down in the midst of us. He ate heavily without saying anything, shoulders still crushed by the effort. It was the evening of one of those bad days, when, from one end of the line to the other, the sky is rotten, where all the mountains appear to the pilot to roll in mud like cannon burst from their mooring lines on the bridges of sailboats in times gone by. I studied Berry. I swallowed hard, and finally summoned up the courage to ask him if his flight had been tough. Berry, frowning, his concentration on his plate, did not hear the question. In those days, once airborne, we had to hang out round the windshield in order to see, the whistling of the wind remaining in our ears long afterwards. Finally, Berry raised his head, appeared to hear me, to remember, and immediately laughed brightly. And because Berry laughed rarely, this laugh amazed me, this brief, bright laugh flashing out of his exhaustion. He gave no other information about his victorious outing, just bowed his head and resumed his chewing in silence. But in the greyness of the restaurant, amongst the minor public servants who brought their humble exertions of the day to this place, this heavy-shouldered comrade seemed to me to bear a strange nobility. Beneath his rough exterior I recognised the angel who had conquered the dragon. Finally came the evening when it was my turn to be called to the director's office. He simply said, You will depart tomorrow. I remained there, standing, waiting to be dismissed, but after a silence he added, You know the rules? Engines at that time did not offer anything like the safety of today's engines. Often they would suddenly fail, with a great sound like the crashing of mountains of crockery, and up against the merciless rocky bluffs of Spain one would just have to throw in one's hand. When the engine stops, the aeroplane drops, we used to say. But a plane is replaceable. The important thing was not to fly blindly into the rocks. 
In any case, we were forbidden, under penalty of the most grave punishments, from flying through the banks of cloud above the mountainous areas. A pilot, with mechanical problems once immersed in the thick white stuff, would fly his craft smack into the mountains without ever seeing them. This is why, that evening, a slow voice insisted a last time over the tannoy. Chaps, it's jolly good fun to navigate by the compass through the sea of clouds above Spain. It is a fine thing, but— Still more slowly. But remember, below the sea of clouds lies eternity. Thus it was that suddenly the calm, collected, and simple world that is revealed when one emerges from clouds took on for me a new quality. Its very gentleness became a snare. I imagined it as a huge white trap spread there below my feet. Down there reigned not, as one would expect, the agitation of men or the tumult or the lively bustle of cities, but rather a silence more absolute yet a peace more definitive. This creamy whiteness became for me the border between the real and the unreal, between the known and the unknowable. And I sensed already that a vision has no meaning if not seen from the point of view of a culture, a civilization, or a profession. Mountaineers, too, were aware of the seas of clouds. However, they could never discover this fabulous curtain.'